Involvement with the criminal justice system is life-changing. It matters. Having a justice system that works is a really important part of a democratic society. I'm Penelope Gibbs, Director of Transform Justice. I'm Rob Allen. I've worked in and around criminal justice all my career. This is the Transform Justice podcast. Throwing light on the criminal justice system. Hearing from people who know. It's about whether the system's fair. And what can be done to make it better. Hello. Today we're going to discuss what to many seems a very unfair aspect of punishment. The way people have to reveal a criminal record or have it checked long after they've been punished and in many cases put their past behind them. With me to discuss this topic are Jay Jordan, CEO of the Alliance for Safety and Justice, who's in New York, and Chris Stacey, Director of Support and Development for the charity Clinks. And of course, my co-presenter, Rob Allen. Rob, uh, you know, criminal records is, is a huge issue. Have you come across any problems with people you know? Well, one particular example I remember well about 10 years ago an ex-colleague of mine wanted to stand for election as a police and crime commissioner, and he wasn't allowed to. Why? Because he'd been fined £5 when, aged 13, back in 1966, he'd gone onto a railway line with some other kids. The crazy thing was that he worked at the heart of government for more than 10 years, but this mistake that happened all that period before came back to haunt him and and prevented him from doing what he was very keen to do and would have made a great job at. I mean, that is an incredible story. Chris, you worked for many years for the Charity Unlock campaigning for changes to criminal records checks. Can you outline how the system affects those who've got into trouble with the law just in England and Wales because it's different in the other nations? Yeah, sure. Rob's example, I think, highlights how when many people think about a criminal record, they often think about somebody that has been to prison. Um, But the vast majority of people that get a criminal record in England and Wales don't go to prison. There's over 12 million people that have a criminal record. Less than 10% of those will have been to prison. But what is common for everybody that gets a criminal record is that it gets recorded by the police. It stays there for the rest of your life. And in so many different areas of life, it can come back and haunt people, whether that be for applying for jobs, whether it be standing as a police and crime commissioner, whether it be travelling abroad um, on a family holiday to the US. So do you think the scheme gets in the way of people moving on in their lives after committing a crime? Even the word scheme suggests there's been a sort of effort to create a system to do something, and I just don't think that's the case. So disclosure and barring service checks, the checks that employers do, that never really had the kind of scrutiny that understood the impact that it would have and does now have on hundreds of thousands of people every year that have things showing up there decades later. Nobody ever designed that. Nobody ever thought that that was the right system. And yet we've ended up with that system. Many people who first hear about this issue often think, well, that's not a problem that something shows up. You just need to explain that and it'll be okay. Yet what we know time and time again is that even the mere fact that something is going to come up on somebody's criminal record check will put them off applying because they'll be nervous, they'll be ashamed, they'll be worried about the reaction. 
even if they do have the confidence to then apply, we know that there are many employers that take very harsh approaches to considering that. So yes, there are some fantastic employers that will give people a chance, but there are many employers that won't, particularly in more sensitive occupations where they will take very risk-averse approaches because we live in a society now where that is the easiest thing to do. And so what that means is that a lot of people that have things showing up on their criminal record check are prevented from doing the thing that they are qualified and experienced and able to do, or it prevents them from moving on in their life and developing to their full potential. So say somebody wants to be an assistant in a school or or even work in the kitchen with the lunches or whatever, what kind of thing that they did in the past might come up on their record years later? So a a good example, I think, that a lot of people don't realise is if you, maybe as a child or as a teenager, you might push somebody in a school playground, perhaps, um, that could result in a criminal justice intervention. Um, That might mean a caution. Um, It might mean a, a, a conviction. And if it's a conviction that would go down as actual bodily harm, ABH, that is an offence that will forever be disclosed on an enhanced DBS check, which is the type of check that is most popular, most common in England and Wales. There are about 5 million of those done every year. And it is one that many jobs, not just those working with children and vulnerable adults, and and you mentioned an example of working in a kitchen at a school where those types of checks are done. So if you think about that, that could have been 20, 30, 40 years ago. Somebody could now be in their 40s, 50s and applying for a job where they will still have to explain that and they will have to rely on the employer to make a judgment that is in their favour. So essentially they're in many ways being tried again and judged again for something that they did decades ago. Jay, uh, you're in the USA, obviously different country, different system and indeed different systems in the different states that make up the USA. I know it's difficult, but could you give us an example or two of how the criminal record system works or doesn't work on your side of the pond? Uh, first off, thanks for having me. Oh, and it works. <laughs> it works pretty well. There are currently about 70 to 100 million Americans with some sort of arrest or conviction on their criminal record. And in America, there's four different databases that house these records, right? So this is a data issue. And every time someone is arrested and they go through their court proceedings, those databases are updated. And there are big data brokers that buy the data from the courts and they sell the data to private companies. 93% of employers do background checks and four out of five landlords do background checks. And so now what you have is the majority of people with records have already moved on with their life. I mean, all the data and research shows that these people are over the age of 30 and they're not committing crimes. But in America, we have what is called collateral consequences. These are the actual laws that exist that allow for background checks to be implemented. There's 40,000 of these laws and about half of them are employment related. And we're not just talking about one or two jobs here. We're talking about entire industries 
education, insurance, government, real estate, any licensed profession, people are doing background checks. That means that if you have a felony or in some cases a misdemeanor, then you are denied employment. Jay, sorry, for an English person, if you could just translate that for us, that'd be great. Got it. So in the American context, there are two types of crimes. A misdemeanor is like... A minor crime. Yeah, a minor crime. And a, and a felony may be more, a, a more serious crime. Yeah. So can we take a little step back on this? I mean, you, you said something that shocked me there, which is that people are simply barred from doing some of these occupations. That's a different thing from providing information to employers who can then talk to the person about it, weigh up the risks. In the States, are you saying that for a lot of occupations, it's a straightforward no-go if you've got one of these criminal records? Oh, yeah. So if you are going for a licensed profession, so these are your dentists, your lawyers, your doctors, your I mean, sheet metal workers, your iron workers, the licensing agencies have an outright ban for the more serious crimes. Now, the ones that don't have outright bans that are discretionary are private companies. And these are like your gas station attendants, your grocery stores. And so what ends up happening in the States is people with records gravitate towards the low-waged work. So they get stuck in what we call post-conviction poverty which they are stuck in the lower end of the economy because they, they don't have any economic mobility because of the restrictions. Let's take housing, for instance, which is a huge problem in America for people with records. Say, Rob, you own a flat, right? And you want to rent it out. Um, usually you will go through what is called a property management company. These property management companies have their bottom line at stake, so they do uh, criminal background checks. So it's not the individual owner, Rob. You're not saying that, hey, I, I, I don't want any criminals in my flat, but the company that you hire to manage your property has a policy to blanketly ban people from getting those housing options. There's no discretion there. Chris, do you think there are some similarities there? We don't have the kind of same licensing for professions. Maybe we do, but may, not quite in the same way. But do you recognize what Jay's saying in terms of looking at the situation here? I do, because I think although we don't have it codified as much in legislation, professions do have the kind of bans that Jay's described. I think they're maybe just not articulated as such um, and not interrogated as much. So if you take becoming a social worker, they will have a policy on criminal records of which they will have certain exclusions for certain types of offences, certain periods of time. And that's that's consistent across the board. And so although that's established in policy rather than in law, it has the same practical effect towards people that are looking to go into those professions. We, we do have a, a barring system in England and Wales about Sixty to 80,000 people are barred from working with children and at-risk adults. But that equally is, is a very arbitrary um, system that doesn't have the kind of discretion that one might hope might exist. So we've sort of talked about lots of problems with criminal records, but Chris, do we need a system of criminal records checks? I think that's a great question because if we zoom out and ask ourselves how helpful is a criminal record in determining what somebody is going to do in the future and question what the evidence is, I think it does begin to quite fundamentally question the role of criminal record checks and how useful, for want of a better word, they are. 
Now, that's not to say for one minute that we shouldn't have um, effective safeguarding systems in place, particularly for certain jobs, for certain professions, working with children, etc. But if you start from that lens, you you can then begin to be so much more targeted in the type of information that employers need to make proportionate assessments. So why does, for example, uh, somebody working in a school as a teacher need to know about financial offences that somebody might have committed 30 years ago? That's not relevant to looking after children. And so the kind of relevance, I think, is is the question that we're often not asking. And employers do their checks and the government give them a wide amount of information. And those two things are, are problems. Jay, what about you? You know, if you were an employer and you were employing somebody and it was, a, you know, it was dealing maybe with vulnerable people, wouldn't you want to check? So I've been an employer. I'm an employer now. And we work with victims of crime. So naturally, you would say, oh, well, if you're working with victims of crime, you definitely want to do a background check, right? The fundamental problem with background checks, I believe, one, anything that that has a financial incentive behind the industry um, that has to do with morality, I question fundamentally. Secondly, what does rehabilitation mean? If the record itself um, is a gauge uh, that we're using to say, is this person good enough to work in these positions, then when is the end date? And so I think that that question begs another question, when does someone become rehabilitated, right? And if the answer is never, then let's tell them that. But we're not saying that. And so if we're not saying that a person can never be redeemed, then we have to have some end date. It's not fair to employers or landlords for society, for governments to not answer that question. It's not on us as employers to say, you know, if this person rehabilitated, it's on the system to say, this is the end date. This is what rehabilitation means. They've been through this process. Now go on and you can hire them. So you, Jay, you've got into the campaigning on uh, criminal records. Is this partly because in your own personal life, you have been through the criminal justice system and then faced lots and lots of barriers to getting employment? Oh, yeah. I was a teenager, right? Ten months after out of high school, riding around, somebody got robbed, I got caught. Well, the only person that got caught, um, no one got hurt, didn't get any money. They gave me eight years in prison. So while I was in prison, I had all these big plans to get out and sell insurance, sell real estate. Uh, But I quickly found out that I couldn't do any of those things. And there were dozens of jobs that I was applying for that denied me. The only job I got was at a temp agency. And this is like the lowest of the low you can get in America. And you have no protections. If you get hurt, they don't pay for it. They send you home and that's it. And you're fired. And that's where I worked. And it was horrible. But I was the only place that um, would hire me. Fast forward to now, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. And some would say that I'm successful. Uh, I'm married. I have two amazing uh, little boys. The crime I committed was 22 years ago. And still today, I cannot be on a lease. Me and my wife, everywhere we want to move to, we have to buy a home because they won't rent to me. They won't rent to me. My kids during COVID... Um, they were short-staffed and needed volunteers. I couldn't volunteer my kids' daycare. 
You know, my wife is 46 years old. I'm 38. Uh, we have two boys. Obviously, she wants a girl. And we have to have the hard conversation. Look, you know, either we try again and it's going to be a very high-risk pregnancy or we try to adopt. We can't adopt kids. You're not allowed to adopt? Never, ever. In America, because there's no system of clearing the record completely and there's access to the record, a lot of these collateral consequences I spoke about earlier are lifetime bans. So I can never do this stuff. Mm. Chris, what about you? you? You've been involved in campaigning on this issue for for a, a long time. Did that come about from some personal experience of your own, having been challenged by this system? Yeah, it sounds like Jay and I were very similar ages. I was I was a stupid teenager and made some stupid decisions in a job that I had, and I was rightly convicted of, of theft. I was very fortunate to uh, avoid going to prison. I received a suspended prison sentence. But the, the consequences of that are very similar to if I had have been sent to prison. Obviously not the short-term consequence of going into prison, but the lifetime consequences, because it is defined as a prison sentence under the laws that we have in this country around disclosing criminal records. And that absolutely is what drove me to, um, yes, complete my degree, which I was studying at the time, go and study a master's in law and then join an advocacy charity that was trying to reduce the barriers and help people overcome the issues that they were facing, which is where I then got into criminal justice and, and, and the charity sector, which is where I've been ever since. You said you studied a master's in law. Was there a career path which was um, blocked to you because of your criminal record? I don't think I did want to become a lawyer until I realised I probably couldn't become a lawyer. After I finished my degree, I did look at the legal profession and at the time and perhaps still now I'd say that that would be closed to me. I think d different to the US by the sounds of it there are very few legal bars but there is so much discretion and so much judgment that it is actually quite difficult to be able to say for a lot of people including me that I definitely can or I definitely can't do something as a result of my criminal record. A lot of people end up in this vast middle of a cloud of saying, well, it might be quite difficult, it's not impossible, but... Um, and that's certainly where I found myself, and still do in many ways. So you were put off, as it were, going for being a lawyer because you just thought, oh, this is going to be so difficult? No, I actually applied. Um, I applied a couple of years after I finished my degree and, and I was refused. And that wasn't a forever thing. That is something that I could go back to. Um, I think I've turned my attentions to other things since. Yeah, you've done great work in terms of campaigning. Jay, moving to campaigning, the Time Done campaign has recently been successful in campaigning for quite radical reform in California. Can you explain what you've been doing? Yeah, so you're referencing Senate Bill 731 in California, which was part of a larger five-year campaign. And we passed three bills. The first one was a data law to fix the systems so they can actually change the record and talk to each other. And then we passed a law where we automated record clearance. And I want to be clear about um, this term clearance. There's no way to clear a record in America. You don't get rid of the data that's in your record. You can only shield it from certain people. Right. So there's no way to erase the record. That is the same, basically, in, in England and Wales. That record will always be on what's called the police national computer. But 
it may or may not be revealed to institutions. Yeah, yeah. And so Assembly Bill 1076 automated record shielding for people that get convicted and it did not result in long-term prison sentences. And then the uh, we went back and last year we passed the Senate Bill 731 that um, streamlined a process for people that did get convicted and it resulted in a long-term prison sentence. Those folks won't have their record automatically shielded. Those folks will have to go and petition the courts. But the thing that we did, and which I was mentioning earlier around what, how do we define rehabilitation, was we said, if you complete your sentence, you do parole or probation, you complete that, uh, and then you have two years of being crime-free, then you are presumed rehabilitated. This is transformative because it covers everybody except um, people who are registered sex offenders or crimes against kids, but everybody else. And our goal um, has always been that we have to have some sort of demarcation line. There has to be an end date. And we were able to do that through a tiered system. So most people um, that have less serious crimes, their record will be shielded or expunged automatically. And for people with more serious crimes, their record will be shielded or expunged through a petition process where they have to go back to the court and petition a judge. We think that's fair, right? Um, because it gives people a sense of hope and it, it allows employers and landlords and licensing agencies to say, hey, this person, they committed a crime, they were rightfully convicted, they got out, they served their time, they paid their debt, and they got an expungement. Now I'm able to hire them because the state has finished the process. So, Chris, you know the system in England and Wales well. Can you just contrast how that situation is in California with the situation of, say, somebody who's had a short prison sentence in this country? Yeah, I mean, I think there are some similarities, actually, because we've had laws in this country since the 1970s, so the Rehabilitation of Offenders Act 1974, um, and it's been updated a couple of times since then, but essentially for shorter prison sentences, they kind of have an end point after a couple of years. The reason I say kind of is because there are lots of jobs that have higher levels of criminal record checks and even those things after that period will still show up. For those types of higher level jobs, we also have another system and it and it is very complicated, um, a system of taking some things off those levels of checks. I think what we don't have, and one of the things that it sounds like in California there is, is a way of fronting up and saying, this is where I am now. It was five years ago that I was convicted. The laws maybe say that my conviction still has to show up, but I'm saying I've not committed any further offences after this amount of time. And we don't have that in England and Wales. There are many countries across the world that have that type of system, because as Jay describes, it gives the potential for the end of the sentence because so many people think of the sentence as finishing when they come out of prison or when they finish their probation. The criminal record system in both England and Wales and the US doesn't finish at that point. It carries on for the rest of people's lives. I mean, Jay, that, what you've described sounds like an important and successful campaign that's brought about real change. What do you think prompted the senators to actually go along, along with this? Because it's some would say there are some risks attached to it. It's a, 
it's quite a big change you've described. What what are the arguments that worked well? How did you manage to achieve this? So, ironically, uh, six years ago, we uh, set out on this journey and we poured over all the data we can find around people with records. And we found the Rehabilitation of Offenders Act of 1974. <laughs> and that was the basis for Sunsets, which was like this idea that the record could become spit. And I was like, mind blown. The UK does this. So I remember going around California saying, the UK has a better system than us. We have to figure this out. And we said, well, what does it look like to have different tiers? And for the ultimate tier would be like actual erasure, like getting rid of the record. So we have an actual framework. And we presented that to a few champions in the state legislature. And the first time we went up there, it wasn't a flat out no. It was, this is going to cost a bunch of money. Um, I think the fiscal note was $100 million every year because of the data systems. Um, and so we, we, we went back the next year and we came back with some friends. <laughs> we brought 500 families up to the state capitol. And we just didn't bring the families. We, we built this massive wall. And we shut down a street in the middle of the state capitol. And on the wall was printed the 40,000 collateral consequences. And we called all of our proposed opponents. So the Sheriff's Association, the District, the district Attorney's Association, all the law enforcement people. And we told the story of these collateral consequences. And at the end of that 20-minute session, everyone was in agreement. Like, this is wrong. And how do we fix it? And over the next five years, we were able to work with the state legislature. We had prosecutors co-sponsoring these laws. So we worked in collaboration with people because we asked two questions. One, do we believe in rehabilitation? And everyone said yes. So if we believe in rehabilitation, we have to define it. And this is how we define rehabilitation. And two, would you rather have someone have a job and a house after committing a crime? Or would you rather have somebody not have a job and not have a house? And everyone we asked was like, of course, they should have a job and a house and pay taxes. Okay, well, this is the way that we can remove the barriers to do that. And so once we answered those two questions, we had minimal opposition to this. Now, mind you, year over year, we brought back those families and brought the walls back until we passed this last year. So it took a lot of organizing. This was not an easy you know, road. This was a hard fought victory, and we, but we were able to do it because of the persistence and just the clarity that people had. Chris, I mean, that is a really impressive story, isn't it, of campaigning? But there have been some great strides in England and Wales in getting criminal records reform in the last kind of five to 10 years, but achieved in very different ways from that. Can you describe the two big reforms that they've been? So the Rehabilitation of Offenders Act um, from 1974 was finally updated in 2014 and the length of time that had passed was a key driving factor for that. That had been a long-running campaign to influence and support MPs and parliamentary committees and ultimately getting the coalition government at the time on side and there are now again nearly 10 years later some more changes a very different strategy, the legal strategy, 
to challenge what appears on these higher levels of checks, so for jobs involving children and vulnerable adults. And that strategy of of legal action was chosen because there just wasn't the political will. The government fought this all the way to the Supreme Court, and they were arguing that the system that we currently have is the right system. But the, the Supreme Court ruled that the current system of disclosing the sorts of childhood and decades-old single convictions was just not fair or proportionate. And those two different changes have, without a doubt, significantly impacted hundreds of thousands of people. One of the Supreme Court cases was a somebody who'd um, stolen his bicycle as a teenager, wasn't it? Yes, that's right, um, because he'd also done something else a year or two before or after and what that meant was that because he had two convictions and the law being very technical at the time said that if you had two convictions on your record they were all forever going to be disclosed and that was one of the rules that the Supreme Court said was I think they used the word pernicious and meaning just unfair basically Uh, so that that's no longer um, the case but those changes have not gone anywhere near far enough. And as I think Jay was describing, you have to kind of constantly chip away at changes. I mean, you no longer live and breathe criminal records, I hope, but you are a supporter of the, and and we set it up together, the Fair Checks campaign to get legislative reform in England and Wales. Do you think that kind of thing and the kind of asks that that campaign is making could galvanise change here? Because it is about going out and trying to get people out there motivated. It is. And I think that's where Jay's story was so inspiring, because I think what what we have been lacking in, in England and Wales is a very activated movement whereby people themselves feel a connection to the change they want to see. And I think what what the Fair Checks campaign does is it gives people a, a route to contact their MP and, and take that further to try and get the support of their MP. Because often when people in positions of power or just you know members of the public meet and hear and understand those stories, they don't disagree with the need for change. And I think that's that's the thing that we need to kind of tap into, the fact that when this, these things are understood, I think we all tend to get to the same place. I mean, Jay, you, you, have you taken it as far as you can, do you think, in California, or is there still further strides you'd like to take there? And, and, and are there other states where you think uh, they need to kind of go down the road that uh, California's gone? We're never done. It's, it's always... Uh, so the fact that a record exists forever. Like the government is holding information about me forever and there's nothing I can do. I should scare everybody. Criminal records is the only record that is used to dictate someone's economic status, right? Like that for me is bonkers, right? It's like, well, you committed a crime, so you have to be poor. What? Second point is that if a person is saying, clear my record, I want a job, right? <laughs> like, if a person is clamoring to adopt a kid, to volunteer, those are symptoms of an active and good citizen, right? <laughs> we want more good citizens. So we're stopping people from doing that because it's arbitrary data that doesn't really protect people. It's not in the interest of public safety. And the third thing, just answering your question directly, is in California, the only 
time my record will be erased is when I turn 99 years old. So I have a few years left. <laughs> you know, how long is long enough? Is it 10 years? Is it 20 years? Is it 30 years until you erase my record? And let's start with 25 years. Can we all agree on that? I'm not saying erase out of all databases, but erase it out of databases that public have access to. So we want to go further with erasure in California, and we intend on doing this in every single state in the union because we think giving somebody a end date um, really impacts everybody and not just the individual. Okay, it sounds like you've got a lot of work keeping you busy over the coming years. It's been a fascinating discussion, but we sadly have to draw it to a close. Can we finish by asking each of you if you could choose one priority that you would introduce if you were president, prime minister, to have a better criminal record system. Chris, can I start with you? What would be the one thing that you would go for? So I'll be cheeky and say I think we need a fundamental review of the system, but I think the one practical change that I would introduce is a way in which people can apply for their records to no longer be disclosed. And that's the responsibility of the government to, to produce that kind of system. What about you, Jay? I would pull together all the countries in the world that have some sort of background check system and share our model policy. It's called the Sunset Policy Framework. A portion of the folks are automated. A portion of the folks can petition the courts, but it involves everybody. And I believe every country should have something like that. And there's, there's no reason why countries shouldn't be collaborating and, and um, implementing changes like this. Totally agree with both of you. Rob, what about you? Well, I, I, I certainly like the idea of individuals being able to petition to get their records deleted. But I, I think we need to attend to people under the age of 18 whose records are still coming up. I'd like to see those records kind of frozen, really, other than in highly exceptional circumstances, so that when you do become an adult, you, you start with a clean slate. And that is one of the things we're campaigning for in the Fair Checks campaign. So if you agree with the need for reform, do have a look at the Fair Checks website and spread the word about this podcast because the US experience that we've heard about from Jay shows that radical change can happen. So thanks very much to Rob, Jay and Chris and I'll say goodbye. 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 Thanks for having me.